0: Well, my hope is the last four weeks of Missions Month, you've been reminded that although we live in a world of bad news, the truth is, the actual truth is, there is much more good happening than we can ever know. Amen? There really is. God is doing things and he's working things. And we started four weeks ago talking about how the message of Jesus is not on the decline worldwide. It's not even close. Jesus is still winning hearts and souls, and he's getting his purpose. So there is good happening everywhere, all over this earth. The good that you do through texts and phone calls and the dollar you gave or the thousand dollars you're going to give today, that extra hour you spend with people, that extra moment you're willing to serve people, those things matter. And the reason they matter is God is up to making heroes of faith in every nook and cranny all over this world. That's why I was blessed to be reminded of that this week. I stumbled upon a picture that I want to share with you. This picture comes from an elementary school in Massachusetts where Melissa Milner teaches. And Melissa, three weeks ago, lost her husband unexpectedly. She's not very old. She's in her 40s. Her husband, Josh, was in his 40s, and then he suddenly passed away. But to prove, again, that there's good and there's heroes of just goodness, Mrs. was one of her first days back to class after the passing of her husband and in the grief that she felt, she had this picture on her desk. One of the students had let it left it there, and I know you probably can't read it, but I'll read it to you, what it says at the top. There's a little picture of her husband in the clouds and her on earth. And the picture says, Dear Mrs. Milner, I'm so sorry for your loss. Even though you can't see Mr. Milner, you should still know that there will always be a line connecting your hearts. I hope you feel better soon. Man, there really are heroes everywhere. Little acts of kindness, people doing good, people bringing the love that we're rooted in, the love that, Comes from God to others, bringing the world to know that there is something better on this great big planet. And we're going to open our Bibles this morning, and I want you to know a couple things that have to do with heroes in our Bible. Heroes of faith. And it's one of the things, one of two great things. I have many things that I love about Scripture, but two of the things that are my favorite things about Scripture is first, is I love how Scripture is so honest. It doesn't pull punches. People's journeys are in the Bible, and no, nothing is sugar-coated. It just is honest. And second, I love the Bible because it portrays the acts of faith, the little moments that people step out and encourage, and it portrays it with just such honest goodness of what God does with it. Because what God does with acts of faith, and this exists in little heroes in the Bible, is he takes bigger, small actions and makes them world-changing. Scripture is full of ordinary stories, just like you and I, people like you and I, who break the mold, people who say, I'm ready to jump in with God. I'm taking a step. I'm taking a half step. I'm taking a small step, whatever step. And they come out of anonymity in the Bible and become heroes. And we're going to look at one today, a man named joe now you know joe he shows up in the gospels he plays a really little part you know his name you know where he is from his given name is joseph and he's from an ancient city called arimathea it's an ancient city in israel and here's what we know about joe joe is a big shot he's a big wig he's connected We know from Mark 15 and other places that this guy serves on the Jewish Council, capital C, or what's known as the Sanhedrin, a ruling council of 70 rabbis and teachers of the law and priests that were pretty elite. They were educated, they were wealthy, and it was quite an honor to serve on this group, not just because of what it meant in the status of the day, but what it meant to be on that group In history, we can trace the Sanhedrin and the ruling 70 back all the way to the desert of Exodus 18. Moses started the Sanhedrin. He started the 70 rulers and judges when he was worn out with doing too much. And his father in law Jethro from Arkansas came to him and he said, Will you not take all this on? Will you appoint 70 judges? Well, now, 1,500, 2,000 years later, Joseph of Arimathea is part of that lineage of 70 rulers, 70 judges. So Job, this guy is connected. That's what you need to know about him first. There's no six degrees of separation with him to get in the company of powerful people. This guy is smart, educated, and he wields influence. Let's look at a passage here, and you're going to hear this theme come up. We're going to look at, he's mentioned in all four Gospels, we're going to look at all four today, well, three of the four, and he's going to say things about him like this. Luke 23, 50 through 52. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, that's the Sanhedrin, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. That's talking about, he had reservations about the crucifixion. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asks for Jesus' body. Now, more on those last two phrases, the kingdom of God and him going to Pilate in a minute. But you need to see that Joseph had clout. This guy could get through locked doors. This man didn't have to wait. This is what you need to see. This guy was so powerful, he could go directly to Pilate without asking for a meeting with Pilate. He doesn't have to wait on hold on the phone. He doesn't have to go up a chain of command. Joseph was so powerful, he could go directly to the most powerful man in the area, Pontius Pilate. Right past the guard, right past the secretary who said, You don't have a you don't have a meeting with Pilate today. And he goes, I don't care, I'm going in. He goes in the door and he makes a request. I want the body of Jesus. That's connected. You might have somebody who's that connected in your life. I don't know. I tried to think, do I have anybody in my life that's that connected? You know? I was trying to think. Maybe you have somebody that. You know, you're going to Dallas, and you call your buddy in Dallas. He's like, oh, you want front row tickets to the Mavs? I'll call Mark Cuban, you know, or I'll call Jerry Jones. And then you're wondering why you have friends that are friends with Jerry Jones, you know, and those types of things. That's somebody that would be connected. They don't have to go through the normal channels. This is Joseph of Arimathea. This guy knows people. So we know Joe's big time. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He's educated. And this point is he's very very connected but I want you to notice really about Joe another point that the gospel of John makes Luke doesn't mention this but John mentions this John 19 verse 38 says later and this is the same telling of the same thing later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus Now, Joseph, listen to this, was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Now, this occurs after the death of Jesus, but what an honest verse about this kind of unknown disciple that that shows up at the end of the Gospel of, of John, and it says there's this guy named Joe that we know a little bit about. He's ruling. He's, he's, he's a part of the 70. He's got status. He's connected. He's got a good reputation. But then we get this great insight to his level of love of Jesus. Is Here's a man who's been interested in Jesus, but he's doing it in secret. He admires Jesus, but he yet hasn't taken the step to admit it. He looks intently into the life of Jesus, but he has yet not loved him. He desires the kingdom, as we heard in Luke 23, but he yet has not dedicated his life. He's got a desire, but not a dedication to that kingdom. He's treading in the waters of Jesus, but he hasn't dove into the water. He's educated himself, but he hasn't lived it. He talks in whispers about what he likes about Jesus, but he hasn't yet proclaimed it in the open. Joe is a secret disciple. And can't we all relate to this? Haven't you ever wanted something in your relationship with God or for this church family or for your family or for your marriage or as a leader in a teen group or in your high school or your middle school, but you were too fearful to step out? Haven't you ever felt that kind of groaning inside you to say somebody needs to say this or somebody needs to serve that person or somebody needs to go the next mile but what you do is just hold on to it? thinking I don't want to be the only one. We've all been there, right? We've been in those moments where, man, right in front of me, God's given me an opportunity to share my faith or to pray with that friend or to serve that person. But then we, as John says, he had followed Jesus, but we kind of did it in secret. We all have been there. And the reason I know is because I've been there. We've all been like Joe, secret disciples. But I told you this guy is a hero. This guy is a hero in the Bible. Because the story of Joe doesn't stop with he was a secret disciple. The story goes on. I don't know when he started kind of being interested in Jesus, what time of ministry, if it was early on in the Galilee regions when when John was baptizing and Jesus came to John, or if it was at the Sermon on the Mount, or if it was the first time Jesus started to teach at the temple. We don't know any of that. But we do know this, that there was a time that he did go public. And chapter 15 of Mark tells us It's the same passage, but Mark gives us just a little detail. I love how the Gospels will give us hints and details a little bit. So if you go to Mark 15, 42 through 43, we see this man who all of a sudden shows up at the end of this book of this Gospel, and it says this. It was preparation day. That was the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, and what do we know from John? A secret disciple... Who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God? Look at what, look at what Mark says. All the other gospels, Luke and John, say he went to Pilate and asked for the body, but Mark loves to throw in this detail because he's telling us Joe has gone public. He went boldly and asked for the body. That's what's so key here. Verse 43 is so good. Joseph Says, I'm tired of doing this in the shadows. I'm going into the light. I'm going to go talk. I'm going to go out. People are going to talk about me. The council's going to know it. The guys that disagreed with me on the trial night 24 hours ago who put Jesus to death, they're going to now know I'm all in. I'm going to take care of this. Isn't that incredible? Told you he was a hero. He was a guy that held back and held back, but something caused him to be bold. Now, Mark loves that theme. If you've ever read the Gospel of Mark, and maybe if you're going to read it in your future, put this in the back of your mind. Mark loves the theme of, of secret and bold. He loves the theme of people going away from Jesus and some saying nothing. It seems that the disciples in the Gospel of Mark can't ever figure it out. So here in the last little bit of the Gospel, he finally goes, I'll tell you about a guy who figured it out. A disciple I haven't talked about at all. Joseph. He went boldly. But I want to ask you, so where's this courage come from? Bold is connected to courage, right? We can't really distinguish. If you're bold, you probably have some courage. If you're courageous, you probably have some boldness, right? This was a bold move, a big-time move. And what's even crazier about the big-time move he makes is Jesus is dead. He's not resurrected yet. So where does he get such courage? Well, it comes from the place and the source that all of us as followers of Jesus should get courage. It came from the cross. The cross is our unlimited supply of courage. When we, which I've got to imagine it this way, that Joseph, he sees all this unfold and he doesn't consent with the trial of Jesus and then he sees that it all goes through and Pilate sends him to death and then he watches maybe from afar and then he gets closer and closer as he sees this man that he loved in secret, die on the cross. But at that moment on the cross, you almost see him with a light bulb moment or an aha moment, and he goes, I'm in. That was the most unjust thing I've ever seen. It was the most unjust thing ever done in the history of humanity. And he goes, that's my supply. I'm in. I'm going with courage. cross, when we look upon it with the true eyes, and all of us have probably been there in moments and need to return there for other moments and fix our eyes on the cross, when we see the gift of Jesus sacrificed for our rebellion, courage comes in bucket loads. John Gilbert was a young man who was diagnosed at a young age with a severe form of muscular dystrophy. This disease that, of course, for John and for many others, slowly but surely took all that he had. His life was an exercise in loss. When he was six as a first grader and became seven, he lost his ability to run. Then in second grade, he lost his ability to walk without a walker. Then in third grade, he couldn't walk at all. So as an elementary student, he had to watch other kids play on the playground. His speech started to go after that. So you can imagine his life was hard. This was years ago. There wasn't very many uh, things in place to probably keep bullying out of the playground. So no one stood up for young John. They made fun of him. A bully hurt him every day. They ignored him. But John's life wasn't all bad. There were some wonderful moments in his life. He lived in Northern California. And somebody was putting on an auction in California this summer, one of the summers of his childhood for the National Football League. And one item at the auction for the National Football League to help out people with muscular dystrophy caught John's eye. He'd always been this huge Sacramento Kings NBA fan. That was back when Sacramento Kings were actually good. No, I don't know if we can name very many people on the Sacramento Kings in here. I'm trying to think of one right now. I can't. Right? So the Sacramento Kings were pretty prominent in the '90s. So he wanted this ball because the ball was autographed by every player. He'd always loved the Sacramento Kings. So when the ball came up for auction, he was sitting near the front, second or third row, with his mom. And the auction started, and he threw his arm up as best he could and bid on the ball, At which his mom looked at him and said, we can't afford that. Well, somebody else in the room bid on it, and it went a little higher, and somebody else bid on it, and it went a little higher. And then his mom wasn't watching, and John bid again, and it was up to hundreds of dollars for this ball. She now leaned over in the chair and pinned both his hands down to keep John from bidding on the Sacramento Kings ball. Well, the bidding just went on and on, higher and higher, and by the end of the night, it was getting pretty ridiculous that people were bidding for this. Everybody was like, this is an NFL auction. Why are everybody bidding for this? Well, it was near Sacramento. People wanted this ball. Well, finally, a man yelled out from the back, and I don't know the number, but he bid the ball so high that it was obvious nobody else was going to go any higher, and he won. And right after he won the ball, he walked straight up to the podium. He walked up on stage, and he grabbed that basketball, and he walked off the stage, and every every eye was on him, and he walked to that second or third row where John Gilbert was, and he put that ball in that young man's lap. And the room burst into applause. And it was the best night of John Gilbert's short life. The thing he'll always remember, and always remembered. The cross, for us, is that kind of gift, even beyond that. A gift that we can never afford, and a gift that we can never purchase, and a gift that we really can never fully understand the depth of its love. It's at the cross that we find unity with each other. It's where we find love from our Savior, and it's where we find the ability to say, if I'm given such a gift, I can be courageous. I can be bold. I can be bold in love. I can be bold in my love for my fellow Christians. I can be bold in my love and courageous in my love for the lost and the hurting, and we can be bold in saying, you know what, I don't know what I can give to missions, but I can give And I know God, because of the cross, will do something amazing. That's what the cross does. The cross reveals to us that God is awesome, is still awesome, and will always be awesome. So, with that in mind, we're going to pause for a little bit. And Kelly Ward's going to come up, and we're going to have our offering for missions and a lot of you have already given to this. It was so cool this morning before we even started. Actually, Thursday, we were already at $26,000 on Thursday. And our goal is $92,000. And I know that that's a big goal, especially in a crazy year that we're living in. But I know this, that our God does amazing things. And when we return to him what's already his, and we don't hoard it for ourselves, but we become generous with our lives and with what we're given financially, man, the world gets to see the cross because the world gets to see courageous followers of Jesus. So we're going to finish this sermon out here in a little bit, but we're going to pause for a little bit. Kelly, if you'd come on up, and guys, if you want to go ahead and grab your baskets and be ready. Kelly's going to pray over our offering, and we'll give, and then we'll uh, wrap it up after that.
1: church in Canadian, but uh, even more so for the, for the kingdom worldwide, it's, it's going to make a big difference, uh, the number of souls that will be saved through these finances. Uh, before we pray, I want to read a few short scriptures that I think are, are relevant today. Uh, Matthew 24:14. and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Of course, you know, Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then Mark sixteen fifteen, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The good news to all creation. Uh, Luke 24, 47, I mean, they, they just go on and on. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And... Uh, in Revelation 14, 6, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, every tribe, every language, and every people. So uh, the funding that you're going to do today is going to reach thousands and thousands. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's, it's a good day. So let's pray. Lord, we're all thankful for this day. We're thankful for uh, the opportunity that we have here to... Be a partner with sharing the gospel worldwide. We realize that we are all disciples. We are all apostles. Uh, We all have the same charge uh, to go uh, spread the gospel worldwide. And uh, as the early church did, uh, where they were not able to go, they sent out missionaries. And that's exactly where we are, Lord. I pray that this time uh, that you bless this offering. We're thankful for the hearts of this uh, church in Canadian, of their love for the lost, their love for the hurting. And we realize that uh, through these funds that they will provide uh, to our six mission points that thousands and thousands of souls will will come to know you through that. Uh, We're thankful for all that you do for us. We're thankful for the opportunity we have. We're thankful for the finances we have that we can do this when we can't go personally, uh, that these funds will, will do your work worldwide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: thank you all for your prayers, your dedication to missions. This church, one of the best gifts we have is our generosity and our dedication to giving and sending and and also being people that are sent and desiring that. But I know what a lot of us are thinking, man. We we look at a guy like Joe and we go, man, yeah, but he got to see the cross. I've never seen the cross. Or, or we go, man, yeah, he had that, but he had a lot of things going for him too. Or Courage is easy when, when you have this or that. We, we justify sometimes our lack of courage. And I want to clear a couple things up before we get to our invitation and before we get to our big reveal here in a little bit. Is that Joseph had plenty to fear, just like you and I do. But courage is not what we think it is. First of all, for the Christian, courage doesn't come from us. Courage isn't something that is mustered. Courage for the Christian has a source. Like we said, it comes from the cross. So how many times had Joseph and how many times have us been afraid to step forward, to say, I'll go first? How many times had Joseph said to himself, I think this guy has the answers, but then he kept back? How many times had Joseph been awake at night thinking about the confrontations that Jesus has had with his fellow teachers of the law. So moving at the cross is a strange place. Jesus is already dead. So why would he speak up now? Why did the sacrifice finally move him over the line? I think this is what it is. And I think this is what we need to learn about courage. Here's what courage is. Courage is not the absence of fear. It doesn't replace fear. It confronts it. What we often do is want to wait till a magical moment where we're no longer fearful. But that is not the way courage works. We believe that if I was absent of fear, then I would be full of courage. Like those things are mutually exclusive, cannot somehow exist in the same place. We believe that if I fear a situation or a conversation or a step towards God or doing something different, well, then I just must not have any courage. I just must be a coward. But that is not true at all. In fact, you can think about it this way. Courage cannot exist without fear. There's no such thing. There's no courage without fear. Fear is actually your opportunity to be courageous. When fear comes, courage is your choice to confront it. Not by your own muster or gritting your own teeth, but by you saying, you know what, I'm going to do this. We prayed for Nicole earlier. I've been blown away by the number of people who have shared with me that they had no relationship with Nicole before she was incarcerated, but out of courage said, you know what, I can still send letters to a young lady I don't even know. Well, you could have probably listened to fear in those moments and said, well, she doesn't know me. She's going to think it's weird that if I send her one, I've hardly ever talked to her. But courage confronts fear and says, I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to do it. So if you find yourself fearful, it's time to go to Jesus and confront that fear. But there's also something else I want you to see, and it comes in John 19 as well. We read this a little bit. We're going to go a little further with with it because here's what is so awesome. This is the thing to me that just brings it home for Joe, for Joseph of Arimathea, what makes him a hero in my mind is not only does he go to Pilate boldly, but we find out in John 19, it says, Later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. Okay, so we we know that. So with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Now listen to this. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus... Brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, which is a lot of aloe and myrrh. Now, that is so good. you got to see the detail there. John is throwing in a little detail to tell you something about Joseph, about his courage. He's saying, you know this guy who's a secret disciple, who kind of was following? We haven't told you much about him? Well, I want to tell you what he did after the cross, when he got courageous he brings along a friend, another secret disciple. You guys know John 3. John 3 is about Nicodemus visiting Jesus when? At night, right? Why? Because he just was too busy throughout the day? No, he was visiting at night because it was the easiest way to sneak around because Nicodemus, like Joseph, was secretly Wanting to know about Jesus. Nights when you could hide. He was one out of the light too. That, guys, leads us. Joseph's action as he goes, I just asked for the body. Nicodemus, I know we've talked about this in secret. Come on. Because courage not only confronts fear, but courage is contagious, guys. You know that, right? Man, courage is contagious. Let's make it more contagious than COVID, right? Right? Courage is contagious. When Joseph goes, I'm in, then Nicodemus goes, I'm in too. Nicodemus and Joseph have been in the shadows kind of watching things, but then they see the cross and they go, that's enough. And we know that when one of us steps out and says, let's go, you know what other people want to do. I think it was Billy Graham that said, courage is contagious. There's nothing like courage to strengthen the backbone of a friend. Love that. See, there's this saying in our world that says, well, what happens here stays there, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Ha, ha, ha. Well... What happened at the cross doesn't stay at the cross for Joseph and Nicodemus. They become disciples, full in. And we need to be people that say, you know what? What happens here on Sundays goes to Mondays because courage is contagious. We've seen that. Man, there's so many examples of our church in that, in the way that we live, in the way that... uh, This church has done things that I know you could look around the room this morning and go, well, I'm a little more courageous today because I saw the courage in fill in the blank, right? In fact, practice that for a minute. I want you to think, who has helped you be more in tune with the Holy Spirit? Who has helped you be more connected to Jesus? Who has helped you step out and say, you know, I want to lead a little better, or I want to have this conversation, or I want to serve in this way? Man, I'll give you a couple of mine this week. It was in a weird place. But I got some courage this week on Facebook. A weird place, usually a hellhole. But but I got it from an unlikely source, Zeke Colwell on Facebook. Man, it was dress up. Was it career day, parents? What was it this week at at CES? Was Was it career day? All right. Awesome! Do that like every week. That was the funnest time on Facebook I've had watching all the cute little parents. I loved um, Brynn Wilhelm going as her mom. (laughs) They even put bags under her eyes. That was so good. I mean, that's that's creative. So, um, but uh, anyway, Mallory, you look great. Don't don't take it too hard. So, Jason, take care of your wife. All right. But man, Zeke Colwell, he inspired me this week because. And you guys saw it, right? When he wants to grow up, he dressed up and he told, he told Cody and Melissa, I want to be one of the guys that serves communion. And he wore a little plaid shirt and jeans and a, and a vest. And I was like, man, if that doesn't look like somebody from Canada. <laughs> it's the official. Dan Dockery is wearing that this morning. That's the official. So is Shane. I mean, it's the official, it's the official dress. You know, it's our uniform. We, we actually have a secret closet up here. You can go get one, I guess. But, but I loved it, because, and it made me courageous because I go, it just reminded me that in the smallest nooks and crannies, God is up to something. And he's sending a young elementary school student who all his friends are going to ask him, who are you? And he's going to say, I'm one of the guys at church that serves the Lord's Supper. Witnessing at CES. How cool is that? That's contagious, guys. And courage is contagious. When we look into each other's lives and we get to know each other and we become the people that say, I'm ready. Not anymore to be a secret disciple. But I'm ready today to say it's time to go all in. God says, Let's go. I'm jumping in with you. Joseph was that guy. He watched from afar. He probably made excuses. But man, he stepped out in the light. And we know of him today. Because the gospel writers were like, let me tell you about a hero. That's God's style. Today is a big day for missions, but it also could be a really big day for you. So there's this great passage. It's prophetic in our lives. It's powerful in our lives. It's Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's handiwork or God's masterpiece, is another way to say it, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It's a passage that speaks to when you're ready to step out of the shadows and go, I'm in. I see the cross. I get my supply. I'm going to confront my fears today. Instead of letting me listen to my fears, I'm going to talk to my fears and say, you don't have any more of that space. I'm going to be courageous. And then, guess what you'll do today if you do that? If you speak up in life group, if you pray over somebody today before you leave, if you go to that person you need to encourage or you need to reconcile with, if you go and say, you know what, I gave this much, but I'm going to give this much more. If you go and go to your coworkers this week and you say, you know what, I'm, ti- I'm, I'm tired of standing off and going, well, I'm kind of a Christian, but say, yeah, I follow Jesus because he's a God of love. Guess what's going to happen? It's contagious. And there's going to be stories by this time next year where we go, yeah, I'm here today because so-and-so talked to me. And I'm here today because that person talked to me. And I'm here today because I was baptized on this day. And then my friends told me about this. And the Canadian Church of Christ is doing all this courageous stuff because we supplied it from the cross. And we put it not just in Sundays. We took it to Mondays and made it the most contagious thing around. Can we do that, church? Man, Let's get after it. If you need a step today, if you need to walk closer, if you need a prayer, our baptistry's full. If you're like, I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines and not going all in with Jesus. Baptism is not anything more than just this thing of God saving you because you say, I'm switching allegiance. I'm allegiant to Jesus alone today. That's baptism. Do you have to have answers to be baptized? No. You gotta have mustard seed faith. You don't know what's next, but you know next involves Jesus. That's all you need. So whatever you need today, we're here for you. We're going to do an invitation song, and then we're going to play a game show. So let's stand and sing together.